Okay, so last week when we left on Friday, we had just finished up talking about antigen processing and presentation in preparation for talking about the T-cell receptor. So, we'll start talking about the T-cell receptor today. I first want to say, you got to remember, right, we got to test a week from today. So a week from today is going to be everything from introduction to immunogenetics, right, that was the lecture right after the last test, to everything we're going to talk about on Friday, T-cells and cytokines. So all that stuff's going to be on the test on Monday. And then all the information about presentations, right, all the, all the, the, the schedules and all the how to go about trying to pick a presentation, all that stuff is on the web page, all that stuff is on Blackboard, right? You have until a week from Wednesday to get me your presentation topics. It's okay, you don't have to do a presentation, but I hope you got A's in all of your tests, and I hope you're looking for a C plus in the course, because that's the best you'll get, because if you don't do a presentation, you get a zero, right? So four, three A's and a zero makes for a C plus. So it's up to you. Now, we can finally, yay, start talking about T-cell receptors, all right? So we sort of hinted about what the T-cell receptor is. Yeah, I kind of said it's like an immunoglobulin molecule. Right? I sort of said it, that it's, it's very uh, similar in the terms of the gene structure. It is the antigen receptor on the surface of B cells, on the surface of T cells, right? So B cells are going to be able to recognize antigen without, right, with that cell surface immunoglobulin molecule. T cells are only going to be able to recognize antigen if it's in association with the MHC molecule. So B cells will be able to recognize that entire protein and recognize epitopes along the length of that entire protein. T cells are only going to be able to recognize those epitopes in those peptides that are being presented in MHC molecules, like, like we, what we talked about on Friday. So, how do T cells recognize that MHC in the peptide? Well, they're going to do it by using what we now know as the T cell receptor. So when you think about the research that had to go into figuring this out, it's a pretty hard job. It means that you have to look at every single antigen on the surface of the T cell. Right? You have to basically comb through every single protein that that T cell is making, and you have to be able to see what protein that has been made is being brought and being put onto the cell surface, then you have to see how that protein on the cell surface, if it's able to recognize the MHC, if it's able to recognize the peptide, how it's going to be able to respond to the peptide. So it was kind of a daunting task to be able to do this. But early on, people thought that they had the T cell receptor. Remember when we talked about lymphocytes and we talked about molecules on the cell surface of B cells that every single B cell has. And we said that that antigen receptor, that monomeric IgM molecule, was present on every single B cell. We also said that the CD3 molecule is a molecule that's on every single T cell as well, right? It's the pan T cell marker. 
means it's on every single T cell. So people thought, oh, okay. If we take antibodies to CD3, we're going to take antibodies to CD3, and that's going to be able to block T cell recognition. No longer, right? We don't have to search anymore. The CD3 molecule is the T cell receptor. It is the antigen receptor on the surface of T cells. Well, the problem with that was that antibodies to CD3, not every single antibody to CD3, was able to block the T cell's ability to recognize that MHC peptide molecule. So that early on, that hypothesis or that, that road of, of research, yeah, it didn't work out so well. So people started to look at different ways to attack the problem. And when it came to doing this, there were basically three experimental avenues that were looked at in the 1980s. Remember, it was in the, right, the 1970s or so, late 1970s, that we had found the antibody molecule. And it's going to take another couple of years to be able to find the T cell receptor. So there were three lines that basically focused in on what the T cell receptor was. So the first experimental sort of avenue was people made antibodies to T cell tumors. So they're going to make this antibody to, to a T-cell tumor line. And we have lots of T-cell tumor lines by this point. Right? So we're going to take those cells, we're going to inject them into a rabbit or into a mouse, and that animal is going to make antibodies to that cell that we're injecting inside. Okay. So that T-cell tumor, all those tumors are exactly the same. So on the surface of that T-cell tumor, right, are all kinds of cell surface molecules. And I can't make enough marks up here to be able to show all the different sort of things, right, that are going to be on, whoops, that's got to be different, that's going to be on the surface. Some of them are going to be poor proteins, some of them are going to be, you know, sort of gated channel proteins, some of them are going to be receptors for all sorts of of things, right, vitamin receptors, anything you can think about, we're going to have those on the surface. But the idea was, if it's a T-cell tumor, that perhaps whatever this molecule on the cell surface right, that recognizes that MHC molecule is going to be of great abundance because the molecule is that important to the, to the T-cell itself. So one of the things on the surface are going to be many, many, many more of these quote-unquote T-cell receptors. Right? So we take that antibody to the T-cell tumor, we're going to inject it into a rabbit, and now we're going to have lots and lots and lots of antibody molecules, right? Because that rabbit is going to make tons and tons of antibodies, and we're going to be able to separate every single antibody that that rabbit has made. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to add right, a B-cell to this mixture of antibody molecules. And any molecule, let me get some molecules over here, that the B cell and the T cell are going to share, so let's say they're, they're common poor proteins, let's say they're common proteins that the lymphocyte itself needs to get information from the outside world, right? So this pool of antibodies, some of them are going to bind to that B cell. So that's going to be our first screen. So we're going to add the B cells, we're going to get rid of these cells, 
And with these cells are going to be all the antibodies that we're binding to common proteins that all lymphocytes share, right? That B cells and T cells share. So we've just purified this pool a little bit. The next thing we're going to do is we're going to take a normal T cell, a T cell that isn't a tumor. We're going to isolate those T cells from an animal, and now antibodies that the T cell tumor and the T cell share right, are going to start binding to the surface of the T cell. But because we're thinking that this T cell has many, many more T cell receptors on the cell surface, right, there's going to be a whole bunch of antibodies that are going to be left over. And then what we're going to do is we're going to use these antibodies to go in and start isolating the proteins that these antibodies are binding to. So we've probably cut out, you know, hundreds and hundreds of different proteins on the T cell surface by using this sort of screening of this antibody population. Right, so we're going to use those antibodies, we'll do some immunoprecipitations, and when we did that, they found this 90,000 Dalton, two-chain molecule, a heterodimer. It had an acidic uh, 43 kilodalton uh, chain, uh, kilodalton size chain, and a basic, right, 38 to 44 kilodalton chain. So again, right, it's basic in terms of its, of its PI, its chemical composition. The alpha chain has, again, I'm going to say it again, it has nothing to do with the, uh, with the MHC alpha chain. It has nothing to do with the alpha chain of the antibody molecules. Right? We're just using Greek nomenclature, again, to be able to delineate between the two chains of this heterodimer. So they isolate this molecule, they isolate this heterodimer, and now they use this heterodimer to make more antibodies. So they're going to take this purified protein that they have, inject it back into animals, make a whole bunch of, right, make an antibody molecule now. So now we have an antibody that's going to be specific for this heterodimer. And now we're going to go back and we're going to use these antibodies to screen all sorts of T cells. Right? We're, going to we're going to start screening, you know, hundreds and hundreds of different T cells doesn't matter what animal they're in, doesn't matter if the animal's sick or well, doesn't matter, you know, any uh, other parameters except that we're going to take those T cells from those animals. And when we do that, we find that these antibodies bind to, this, to those T cells every single time. So we're very happy. So we publish our paper and we say, aha, we have found the T cell receptor. This is, this heterodimer, this two-chain molecule is the T-cell receptor. Okay. At the same time, the people who were proponents of CD3 as being the T-cell receptor are, right, they're sort of very eager to get into the hunt. So they, too, start looking more specifically at what the CD3 molecule is doing, because remember, if we take antibodies to CD3, we can kind of inhibit the ability of the T cell to be able to respond. So they're very, very well focused on the fact that CD3 is probably somehow involved with the T cell receptor. So they use antibodies to CD3. 
They lyse the T cells, they immunoprecipitate that lysate with antibodies to CD3, and what do you know? They find, now, they find a heteropolymer. So they're able to find CD3, but they also find associated with CD3 this, this disulfide-linked dimer molecule. And they further investigate it, and they find it has an alpha chain, and they find it has a beta chain, and blah, 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 blah. Right? So now they're going to publish their results, and they're going to say, yes, CD3 is somehow intimately involved with this T-cell receptor. This is what we found with CD3, and this is what this new molecule that we found. We think that this new molecule, right, this disulfide-linked dimer, is the T-cell receptor. Okay, so that's two avenues that we've gone down to be able to see what's taking place here. Third group uses a molecular approach. Okay. They're going to say, their logic is, nature isn't stupid. Okay. A lymphocyte is a lymphocyte is a lymphocyte. If there's an antigen receptor on the surface of a B lymphocyte, and it uses this recombinatory, you know, sort of, of activity to be able to take a V gene segment and a D gene segment, right? Nature is not going to reinvent the wheel here. If it works good enough for a B cell, it's going to work the same way for a T cell. A lymphocyte is a lymphocyte. So let's start investigating from a molecular point of view, and let's see if we can find these rearrangements that are taking place that we know about that are taking place on the B cell, let's see if we can find them on a T cell. Make sense? So, what are they going to do? They're going to use subtractive hybridization. So what's subtractive hybridization? In a nutshell, right, we're going to take B cell messenger RNA, we're going to take T cell messenger RNA, we're going to turn this messenger RNA into cDNA, right? We're just going to use some reverse transcriptase and turn it to cDNA. We're now going to take this cDNA and add it to this messenger RNA, right? So this messenger should bind to the cDNA if they're both the same. So again, this is the step that's going to take out of the equation right, anything that a B cell and a T cell share. So any proteins that are being made by the B cell and the T cell are going to be removed so that anything left over over here should be messenger RNA that only the T cell is making. And of this messenger RNA, a good bulk of it is going to be the T cell receptor. So they isolate mRNA from B cells, they subtract it from mRNA from T cells, and they eventually find cDNAs that are specific for the T cells. They do all their sequencing, and basically they're going to use each one of these as a probe to look for rearrangements in T cells, and they find it, right? They find the beta chain. And the beta chain is doing exactly what right, immunoglobulin molecules are doing in their experiments. It's rearranging. So the beta chain has some V gene segments, some constant gene segments. It's doing exactly what an antibody molecule is doing, as it should. Nature's not going to reinvent the ability of a T cell to be able to recognize antigen. It's going to use basically the same method to be able to do this. So now we have 
three lines of evidence that suggest that there's a, a beta chain to the T cell receptor, and we have two lines of evidence to show that it's a heterodimer, and there's an alpha chain that's also involved. So the T cell is going to have on its cell surface as its antigen receptor, this alpha, beta, heterodimer that is the T cell receptor. So now everybody goes out and everybody starts sequencing. Right? They're going to isolate lots of beta chains. They're going to isolate lots of alpha chains. Right? We're going to get the whole sequence. We're going to see how it works. Right? If you have your notes from when we talked about immunoglobulin molecules, put your pen down because everything we're going to talk about there, we're going to talk about here. The other wrinkle that people found as they were sequencing more and more and more and more, as more and more sequences came online, that in addition to this alpha-beta heterodimer, right, this alpha-beta T cell receptor, they also found a second one, a gamma-delta T cell receptor. So the alpha-beta T cell receptor uses the alpha chain and the beta chain. And this gamma-delta uses two other different chains that are related to the alpha and the beta chain. They use, and they, it's called the gamma and the delta chain. Again, just keeping up with Greek nomenclature. Most of the T cells and everything we're going to talk about, right, like 95, 97% of all the T cells are this alpha-beta expressing T cells. Those other 5% the 5% of T cells that express the gamma delta T cell receptor, again, we've talked about this before, they're sort of wacky T cells. They're going to, you're going to find them early on in utero. You're going to find them in protected places. You're going to find them during different disease states. That's a better way of saying, yeah, we're really not too sure what the gamma delta T cells do. Although a lot of experimentation have been done about them, and you can find them in specific diseases and specific places, but most of the studies and everything we've been talking about and most of the things we are going to talk about deal with these alpha-beta positive T cells. Right. They have the alpha-beta chain of the T cell receptor. And whenever you know, we need to talk about these gamma-deltas, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, look at them specifically as opposed to the alpha-beta expressing T-cells. Okay. So, what do we know about the T-cell receptor? Okay, right. this is going to be like a flashback. Well, what do you know? They're part of the immunoglobulin supergene family. Right. That means they have that immunoglobulin fold as part of their protein substructure. They have two chains. Both chain, right, the chains themselves, ex uh, they have variation in the amino terminus. They have conservation in the carboxy terminus. Means they have a constant region. They have a variable region. Sound familiar? Right, keep your pens down. They have three CDRs. The CDRs have been identified in those variable regions of each of the T cell receptor chains. They have a constant region, just like immunoglobulin molecules, right? We'll keep going. They have a connecting region where there are additional cysteines, right, that are involved in disulfide linking of the two chains together. Sort of like the hinge region, 
of the antibody molecule, right, where heavy chains come together. Right? You've heard this all before. It's the same old song. They have a transmembrane region. Remember we talked about when immunoglobulin molecules are first expressed, they all have the transmembrane region, and later, right, during RNA processing, the transmembrane region is gotten rid of and turns it into a secreted molecule. That doesn't take place here. There don't seem to be any secreted T cell receptors out there. So they're all part of the cell surface, right? Everything's right there. The cytoplasmic region, it's very small and it has no signal transduction function at all. Yike. So here we are, the all-powerful T-cell receptor. It's going to be able to recognize MHC molecules. It's going to be able to respond to peptides. But once it gets that information, how does it signal to the interior of the cell? That's a riddle that we'll have to we'll talk about in a couple of minutes. All right. Let's get back to the structure of the T-cell receptor. So. Here's our B cell, right, monomeric IgM molecule. Here's our available region. Here's our constant region. Here's our transmembrane region. Come over here. Here's the T cell receptor. The alpha beta T cell receptor, the gamma delta T cell receptors are the same way, except they have a gamma chain and a delta chain. But here's the beta chain. Here's the variable region. Here's the constant region. It's a member of the immunoglobulin supergene family, right? There's that immunoglobulin fold variation in the amino termini. We have a region that is high in cysteines where a lot of disulfide bonds that hold them together. Right? Positive uh, hydrophobic groups in the transmembrane region to hold it into the cell membrane as any other cell surface protein does and a small cytoplasmic tail. You could, the best way that I sort of think about the T cell receptor is just sort of rip off this piece. Take an FAB fragment, put a transmembrane region on it, stick it right into the cell membrane. Right? Isn't that really what we're looking at? Can't we really be looking at just this part right here? A couple of more cysteine, a couple of more cysteines, a couple of more coming together right here. That's what we have right there. Nature didn't reinvent anything. If anything, right, where does this fit in, evolutionarily speaking? Ooh. Hard to tell, right? If we if we uh, we already thought that this was the primordial unit, right? Because we can see certain molecules that only have one of these immunoglobulin folds in them, right? So did we have the immunoglobulin fold and it duplicated and it gave us a beta chain or an alpha chain and then that duplicated and that gave us the other chain and then that sextuplicated or whatever it would be, right? To give us the heavy chain or the light chain. Where, evolutionarily speaking, do these things, right, how do, how do we get to having these as our major molecules of the acquired immune system? Right? This is it in terms of acquired immunity, in terms of specific immunity, right, the specificity, right, of those CDR regions up here, the specificity of those CDR regions right up here, right, they were going to get those CDRs and now this is going to come into contact with the MHC molecule and those peptides that are sitting in the groove of the MHC molecule. Okay. If we're looking at the T cell receptor in this space filling diagram, we're looking at a class 1 MHC molecule down here. So here's the alpha 2, the alpha 1 domain, here's alpha 3, here's probably beta 2 macroglobulin down here someplace. So 
Right here we're looking at a CD8 positive T cell. So here's the alpha chain, right? the available region of the alpha chain. Here's the available region of the beta chain. Here is right the peptide inside that alpha helical side and the beta pleated sheet on the bottom of that MHC class one molecule. Right? It's just sort of sitting up there. Several epitopes are now exposed. T cell comes down and is be able to recognize what's going on right there. So we have the ability of the T cell to be able to recognize this. If we take this, right, those CDR regions, CDR1, CDR2, CDR3 of, of the T cell receptor and of the antibody molecule, they're very similar. So those three CDR regions, just like in the antibody molecule, are what are coming into contact with Right, the antigen that's sitting inside the peptide groove, right, inside that groove of the MHC molecule. So very similar to what we talked about before with the CDR regions. Right. Space filling diagram, again, right, the different CDRs are coming up and making different sort of conformational, not conformational changes, but different protein changes here to be able to get all that variation in the, in the CDR regions. And those CDR regions, again, are going to come into contact with epitopes of the peptide that's being presented in the MHC molecule. This was a pretty cool sort of a breakthrough analysis looking at the T cell receptor and the MHC molecule. So again, we're looking at an MHC class 1, alpha 1, alpha 2, alpha 3. Here's beta 2 macroglobulin. Here, right here, is the peptide. You can see the alpha helical structure. You can see the beta-pleated sheets of that MHC molecule in the peptide group. <coughs> peptide sits there, is exposed so that the CDR1, CDR2, CDR3, right, up here of the variable region of the alpha chain, variable region of the beta chain. Here's the constant region of the T cell receptor. Here's the T cell sitting right up here. We're going to make this interaction take place if Right? This is able to recognize this peptide, the T cell is going to be able to respond. On this side of the diagram, right, we're looking down. Right? We're looking down at the MHC molecule this way, and we're looking up into the T cell receptor this way. So just like we had this picture before, right, here's the alpha 1, the alpha 2 domain. Right? Alpha 3 domain is down in here someplace. There's the peptide. So that's what we're looking at when we're looking this way. Right? We, sort of t we sort of take just this part and turn it out and look at it this way. On this one, we take this part and lift it up and we look at it this way. So we're looking up at the T cell receptor. So here are the CDR1, CDR2, CDR3 regions right, coming into contact. Here's the rest of the constant region, so the rest of the molecule sort of looks up and back that way. So now what we're going to do is we're going to take this part of the molecule. We're going to take it, we're going to stamp in a little bit of ink, right? This is an experiment of the mind because we're, we're really not doing that, right? We're going to stamp in a little bit of ink and then we're going to take this and we're just going to pop that right onto there and this is what we're seeing, right? This is the ink stain that's left over. So you can see right here, right, all the CDR regions basically are making contact with the peptide, right? Remember the peptide sits right along this groove right in here. So there's the peptide, there's all the CDR regions right here making contact with the peptide, but then there's also a bunch of regions over here that are making contact with the MHC molecule too. 
okay, with the other parts of the MHC molecule, the other parts of the alpha-1 and the alpha-2 domain. Okay? So this is some sort of recognition of the MHC molecule. Remember, if this is an MHC class 1, this is a CD8 positive T cell, so it has CD8. Remember that CD8 is going to be in here somehow coming into contact with the alpha-3 domain, and that's also going to be recognition of self-MHC restriction. Remember we said that, that the, that the T cell is only going to be able to respond to peptide if it's coming from the same right, genetic background of the MHC molecule. And it's probably via these interactions and interactions with CD8 on the alpha-3 domain of the MHC molecule that the determination of similarity is being made as well. If this is a different MHC molecule, then this T cell receptor was brought up with, then that T cell receptor it doesn't care at all about that peptide. Now that T cell has a different mission, and that different mission is to destroy whatever cell is expressing this non-similar right, MHC molecule. And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about this on Wednesday, how that determination is going to be made. It's one of the coolest things we talk about all semester. I'm just sort of foreshadowing. So, this should look familiar. Right? Gene organization. Variable J gene segments in the alpha and the, de and the delta right, chain, like antibody light chains, just the V's and the J's. Right? Like the antibody heavy chain, the beta chain, oh, sorry, that's a gamma, right? Alpha and gamma. The beta and the delta are like the heavy chain in that they both have V, D, and J gene segments. Right? I can just hear this question on a test. What are the similarities and differences between the genes of the antibody molecules and T cell receptors? Right? All this sort of similar. There are many more J gene segments in the T cell receptor DNA. Right? There are only about 15 of them in the antibody DNA. So if we're looking at the alpha chain and the beta chain, again, they're on different chromosomes, whole bunch of V's, right, whole bunch of J's. If we're looking at, right, this many additional J gene segments in the alpha chain, so we got the V and the J going to come together, A constant region, right, the beta chain, right, different chromosome, a lot of V's, a couple of D's, a couple of J's, just like Dwyane Bennett said, just like Tonegawa said it was going to take place. Right, a couple of constant regions, and the same sort of repetition in the gamma chain and the delta chain. Right, bunch of J's, right? bunch of D's in the in the delta chain. So very similar in terms of heavy chain and light chain sort of setup. Okay. So just like before, just like everything we talked about before. Right, your pens are still down. We're taking a V gene segment, we're taking a J gene segment, we're bringing them together, all this intervening DNA is going to be looped out, recombination signal sequences, right? The RAG genes are going to be involved. Here's our rearranged alpha chain DNA. So this is the alpha chain, right? This is the, what the DNA is going to look like for now, from now on. So the specificity up here, Right, is going to be involved with specific recognition. So here's the, here's the alpha chain, here's the beta chain, DJ goes first, VDJ comes in, intervening DNA is gone, there's the constant region, we bring it up. This is now 
the only beta chain right, that this T cell is going to express for the rest of its life, is the only alpha chain that this T cell is going to be able to express for the rest of its life. We're not going to do anything to get in the way of right, the specificity that has been encoded in the variable regions here. Right? And here's the protein that's going to sit right on the surface of the cell. Just like before, we got a bunch of leader gene segments, right? They're bringing them to the endoplasmic reticulum. We're going to sort, we're going to get rid of those when they turn into amino acids. Once they get into the endoplasmic reticulum, we're going to bring them together, right? Combine them, put them on the cell surface. There's our T cell receptor, right? Almost everything we've been talking about is exactly like it was for antibody molecules. Let's keep moving forward. Right? We're sort of going through this rather quickly because right, we all should be antibodyology experts by now. So, those same combinatorial events that we talked about, right? we're going to use different V regions, we're going to use different J regions, we're going to use different Vs and Ds and Js, so we get those gene segment combinations, right? We know we have our only a certain amount of G Vs, we know we only have a certain amount of Js, certain amount of Ds, so this is the mathematical part of it, right? We only, we're going to be able to know how many we have. Junctional flexibility. Remember when we're going to cut and we're going to be sloppy about it, when we bring them together, we're going to get mostly positive, right? Gene rearrangements, some of those rearrangements are going to be non-productive. Right? We're going to terminate soon. We're not going to be able to make an entire alpha chain because we're going to get that stop code on. We're not going to be able to make an entire beta chain because we're going to get that stop code on, right? That's a non-productive rearrangement. So just like before, all those parts about junctional flexibility are going to be there. N region, P region nucleotide addition. When we talked about N and P region sort of uh, mechanisms, right? We said N region addition in immunoglobulin molecule only occurs in the heavy chain. Not when it comes to T cell, right? This, your pencil should be up for this one because this is a difference, right? It occurs in all the T cell receptor chains here. So N nucleotide region addition is going to take place in the alpha chain and the beta chain. When we talked about antibody molecules, it only took place in the heavy chain. Remember, once, once RAG leaves right, that hairpin loop, at the end of the V or the end of the J, and Artemis is going to come in, it's going to cleave it, right? And we're going to make that, and then we're going to fill it in, right? We're going to fill it in, and that's sort of normal P region ad addition. And then, if we brought in a bunch of nuclear, well, I'll put them this way, a bunch of nucleotides from other places, right? Those are the N nucleotides that only happen in the heavy chain. Here in the T cell receptor, it can happen in the alpha chain and the beta chain. Okay. Another right, sort of difference, we don't have any, any experimental evidence to show any sort of somatic hypermutation in the T cell receptor, V regions, right? In the B, in the, in the B cell receptor, right? <laughs> in the immunoglobulin molecule, after the B cell is exposed to antigen, right, we're going to get those random point mutations in the CDR regions of both the variable region, uh, of both the light chain and the heavy chain variable regions. Right? And we're making that antibody molecule go into a high affinity antibody molecule, and it's usually going to occur with IgG antibodies. That doesn't appear to happen in the T cell receptor. 
Okay, so we got a lot of similarities and we got a lot of differences. So, end of the day, we have a new estimated diversity, right? or a new diversity estimate. Here we're going anywhere from, right, a potential repertoire of anywhere from 10 to the 11th, 100 billion, now I write this down, 10 to the 18th. Anybody? This is Bill Gates' money. Ah, not even close to Bill Gates' money, right? A quintillion, right? That's a lot of zeros at the end. We have a quintillion amount of T-cell receptors that we could possibly generate. Right? So, antibody molecules are the pikers these days, right? Antibody molecules, we've got about 100 billion antibody molecules, or potential, right, for antibody molecules. When it came to MHC molecules, we had about a trillion, right? So that was an order of magnitude more from 10 to the 11th to 10 to the 12th. So now we're saying 10 to the 18th, a quintillion, right, possible alpha-beta combinations of unique T-cell receptors. We're going to need that quintillion amount because when our MHC molecules, right, with their polymorphisms, right, remember the way in which we're going to generate individual, your individual MHC molecules are MHC from your mom, MHC from your dad, your haplotype, and then all of those polymorphisms, all of those mutations, to be able to present up to, right, a trillion different peptide epitopes, we need to be able to cover all of those epitope possibilities that could possibly be brought to our attention by the MHC molecule. So now we probably have a hundred times many more combinations of the T-cell receptors so that we've covered all of our bases when it comes to recognizing peptides in MHC molecules. This is, this is a vast amount of diversity. But we need it, again, because if we ever got to a point where one of our T-cells isn't going to be able to respond, right, the macrophages and dendritic cells, they're out there working hard, right, they're out there risking their lives, phagocytosing everything they can find, breaking it all down, taking those proteins, digesting them into peptides, displaying those peptides on the cell surface. If there ever came a point in time where one of our T-cells couldn't respond to whatever that epitope presented in that peptide groove on the MHC molecule, we're at a disadvantage. And here, disadvantage is life and death. If we can't recognize it, we're probably going to die. Right, as something, well, we're not probably going to die. And again, I don't want to upset any of you as individuals, right? Well, again, I'm talking about species. We're much more important to nature as a species. And I'm not talking about we're dying tomorrow, right? I'm talking about over evolutionary time. If one of those organisms that are able to not present that peptide or that we're not able to respond to of that peptide in the groove by the T cells over evolutionary time, guess what? That particular species, that particular individual grows up and over evolutionary time, we're at a disadvantage. So that's why we need this many T-cell receptors to be able to take place. So another question that's kind of cool to think about is, how come we don't have any alpha-beta alpha, del alpha 
delta T cell receptors? So how come we don't have any beta gamma T cell receptors? And the reason we don't is that those delta gene segments sit right in the middle of the alpha chain DNA. Those delta gene segments are located between the variable region and the, J joint, and the J gene segments of the alpha chain. So when you look at here, right, here's, here's a, a variable region one, variable region, here's the entire delta region, and here's the J gene segments back to alpha again. So if you get a productive rearrangement of the alpha chain, right, we're going to take a V, right, we've got all these Vs lined up right along here from V1 to Vn, there's our dots again, and the delta sits right next to it. Here's the J. So when a productive right, V and J of alpha is chosen, all of this intervening DNA, gone. Okay. Productive rearrangement of the alpha chain deletes the delta, so no T cells can express both T cell receptors at any one point in time. Right. Again, is that because some, right, some sort of mutation, some sort of right, transposition event took place and dumped the delta genes right in the middle of the alpha chain? Well, you know, hopefully we'll know one day when we become really, really good at molecular biology and, and evolutionary molecular biology. But for now, right, all we know is that's where it sits, right in the middle of the alpha chain. So a productive rearrangement gets rid of those. So the next thing we can need to talk about is, so what's up with the CD3 molecule? We know that there's a real close relationship between T cells and, and CD3, because CD3 is on most every T cell. And I just kind of changed that, didn't I? I said most every T cell. So it's kind of a, a prelude to a lie, right? I just changed it. I said CD3 is on every single T cell. We'll see on some T cells we don't have CD3. So, CD3 is on most every T, most every T cell. We know that CD3 antibodies interfere with the ability of the T cell receptor to be able to recognize right, MHC molecules and the peptides that are contained in the MHC molecules. So what do we know about the CD3 molecule? What we know is that the CD3 molecule is the right-hand is the right-hand molecule, I don't want to say the right-hand man, right? It's the right-hand molecule of the T-cell receptor. T-cell receptor is, in, in, is involved with, is in charge of recognizing peptides in that MHC groove. The CD3 molecule is the molecule that's going to transduce the signal, right? It's an accessory molecule that's involved with signal transduction after interaction of the T-cells with those peptides in the antigen groove of the MHC molecule. We know that CD3 isn't one molecule. It's actually this multi-protein complex. It contains four chains. It has a gamma chain, a delta chain, an epsilon chain, and a zeta chain. Right? Your word processor on your computer, Microsoft Word, can make zeta. That's what it looks like. Again, the gamma chain has nothing to do with, right, gamma heavy chain in the immunoglobulin molecule. The delta chain has nothing to do with the delta chain of the immunoglobulin molecule or the delta chain of the T cell, right? It's just, again, Greek nomenclature. Right? So four chains, 
gamma, delta, epsilon, zeta, that form three different dimers. All of these dimers have negative charge transmembrane regions that allows them to interact with the positively charged T cell receptor transmembrane regions. Okay, so if we put up a picture, here's our T cell receptor, here's zeta zeta dimer, here's a, a gamma epsilon dimer, here's an epsilon delta dimer. Right? Again, here we're back to right, our sort of primitive immunoglobulin fold molecule again, right? We're sort of mixing and matching this immunoglobulin fold to do all sorts of different things. Only here, these immunoglobulin molecules, these immunoglobulin fold containing molecules are chains of CD3, and zeta chains don't even have any, any uh, external sort of chains. All that information is going to come from the internal sequences on the cytoplasmic domain, right? But here's the positively charged T cell receptor molecules in the transmembrane domain can interact with the negatively charged amino acids in the transmembrane domain of all these different chains. Right? So all these chains share this common motif in the cytoplasmic region. We'll talk a lot about signaling molecules that share this motif. It's called the immunoreceptor tyrosine base activation motif, or ITAM is where phosphorylations are going to be able to take place, right, for cell signaling. Right? We'll see a lot of ITAM sequences on signaling molecules, both in the immune system and not in the immune system. They were first found in the immune system, right? The CD3, these four chains, right, a little bit more distant, but they are related to the immunoglobulin supergene family. So here are those ITAM motifs. And they're going to be phosphorylation sites so that when this recognition takes place, the signal that's going to be able to lead to intracellular messages are going to be transmitted by the CD3 chains. Okay. So T cells have a whole lot of different accessory molecules. They're all in common is that they're helping with signaling. In addition to the signals that are going to come through the T cell receptor or the MHC molecules, right, they're all going to be involved with recognition and signaling. So we've been talking about CD4 and CD8. So the CD4, CD8 proteins, they're adhesion molecules. Right? They're going to be able to interact with their receptor uh, partners on the surface of dendritic cells or target cells to act as adhesion molecules, right, to keep that interaction take place. They act like Velcro. And they're also co-signaling co-receptors. It means that the CD8 molecule is going to be able to signal to the interior of the T cell with certain signals for signal transduction uh, pathways. And the molecules that CD4 and CD8 are binding to, either on target cells or antigen-presenting cells, are also going to signal for transmem... Uh, for for uh, signaling pathways inside those cells as well. Right? So there's lots of these accessory molecules on all sorts of different cells. Right? So in general, right, things like CD2, LFA1, CD28, CD45, there's lots and lots of these molecules. Right? Too many for us to go into. In general, they bind other surface molecules on the antigen-presenting cell or on the target cell itself. They increase the strength of adhesion 
between the antigen present, between the antigen presenting cell of the target cell and the T cell, doesn't matter if it's a cytotoxic T cell or a helper T cell, right? They're the same on all T cells in all individuals of a species. So unlike, right, MHC molecules or T cell receptors that could be diff or, or yeah, MHC molecules or T cell receptors or immunoglobulin molecules that can be different. My CD4 is exactly like your CD4 and my CD8 is exactly like your CD8. They transduce other signals to the interior of the T cell or the antigen presenting cell. And we've been talking a little bit about using them as surface molecules, right? We, that's how we use them, right? We can identify a cell as being a CD4 positive cell. We can identify a cell as being an LFA1 positive cell or a CD45 receptor positive cell, right? So we sort of use those for things that we need to do. What do I have, a minute? Ah, forget it, we'll, we'll finish talking about this on Wednesday. Suffice it to say, a test a week from today, get your presentation topics to me.